I feel it too. I suspect you also can just feel the culture you're in darkening over time. I want to document that today and talk about the consequences of turning it around on this week's Corey Truex Show. This thread started for me with a piece of nostalgia that my Facebook memories gave me, and I will start there in just a moment. Welcome to the Corey Truax Show, wherever you find podcasts. Thank you for being with us. I'm your host, Corey Truax. Against, excuse me, amongst many things, I get to serve the awesome people of Beachwood Church as their pastor for teaching on Sunday mornings. Stay tuned to this feed and also generally, uh, my, I guess, my social media, because we will be in New Orleans next week. At least the elders of Beachwood Church will be in New Orleans, not for vacation. I'm sure we'll do some fun things while we're there, but we'll be there for the annual meeting of the Southern Baptist Convention. Some important things happening there, and I suspect there'll be some bonus content coming out on that as well. But for today, here's how it started. Every day, Facebook tells me stuff that happened on this day in my history on their site. And because I was one of the first, I was the first wave. College students were the first people to get Facebook, and so I got an account, I think it was 2005, and so my Facebook memories are long, coming up on almost 20 years of them showing me things that happened in the past, and apparently this this time, like 10 years ago, 11 years ago, it was something like that, oh, it was was more, it showed me a picture on vacation in North Myrtle Beach with me and my dad. And my elder brother, he, he with a guitar in his hand. And I'm sure we were singing something together in the living room, having a good time. That is part of the, a true accidentally vacation, is just sing together in the living room of your condo. Well, actually, now I'm, I am remembering very vividly, it was a picture from 2006. Because it said so at the bottom, it was obviously a later posted like Polaroid. Remember when we used to have to do that? You, I guess it's not a Polaroid, but you take your film to the developer, you wait an hour, and then you get your pictures that you actually have to leaf through with your hands. And my dad looked so young. I started doing math. And I think I, I, think I, I did the math right, and he was in, in his mid to late 40s. It's like 48 years old, I think, in the picture. And it kind of blew me away because that's, that seems young to me now. Youngish, I'm not not young, but youngish, and like I'm just ten years away from it, eleven years away from it. And, and it, just, it was weird for me because in my head, my dad has always been this old, old guy. <laughs> Is this my impression of my father my my entire life? And so I started thinking about other memories I had with him in Africa as a as a kid, and it starts to occur to me that like when I was ten years old. My dad was my age right now. I promise I'm going somewhere, somewhere with this. I, th- I think he would have been 36, 37, 38, somewhere in there when I was 10 years old. And when I was 10 years old, I thought my dad was super old. Now that I have some perspective, I start to think about the fact that I, I, that that's going to happen to my nephews, Caleb and Kobe. They have probably always just thought of me as old. And there's coming a day, decades from now, where it's going to occur to them in some picture that they were my age. Like, right right now, they are the age I was when I had my most of my time with them. 
I know this is kind of a heavy place to start, but I just it starts to occur to me as I was thinking about my relationship to to my dad, my relationship to time, and how that connects to to Caleb and Kobe. And for me, more and more, how that connects to the fact that I'm around all these kids all the time at at our church. Our church is mostly couples in their 20s, 30s, 40s with multiple children. We have a ton of kids. I love that. And I have a special like place in my heart, some kind of affection for just wanting them to all be okay. I want I want these young men and boys to to grow up to be good godly men and find godly wives. And I want our our girls to grow up and be godly women and find godly husbands. And live and thrive in this world. I think what's what's happening to me as I age is I I am starting to really live into the reality that one day I won't be here. And I'm okay with that. But then I think about the world that my nephews, nieces, and the kids of Beachwood Church are going to inherit. And it starts to get me deeply invested in the world I'm going to leave, because before I know it, I will leave it. And I love these kids. I suspect right now, if you're listening to me, you can think about that. The teenagers, the all the way from the teenagers to the toddlers down to the infants. You want a, girl, a good world for them in your, you, in your life. You want a good world for them. So while I was feeling this instinct, I'm also seeing this obvious thing of just sin, evil in the world is progressing. I, I mean, I see it this month in particular because it's just everywhere. I can't turn on a streaming app without them telling me, hey, here's our pride section, just all in your face all the time. And it's certainly in our sexuality, our sexual ethic, things have escalated. Even as a ch- when I was a child, shows like Will and Grace were, would have been unthinkable. When my parents were kids, a show like Friends would have been unthinkable. We're going to put a show on TV with six single people in New York City, and one of the main premises is they're just having sex with all of their their romantic interests, and the American people are going to be okay with that, and they're going to watch it? That's just one thing. Our sexual ethic has darkened. That's on display this month. It's more than that, though. I thought about Wall Street, not the place where you do the trading, but actually the movie Wall Street, I think Michael Douglas was in it. It's a classic. It's where he says, greed is good. That's the famous quote from Wall Street, the movie. And he's making a Randian argument. Ayn Rand, who wrote The Fountainhead and Atlas Shrugged. She makes, I think, a salient argument that in capitalist systems, greed is good. Because if you want money, if you're greedy, you're going to solve a problem. You're going to cure disease. You're going to make a better microchip. You're going to get satellites to outer space. You're going to come up with a more efficient way to get something done because your greed, your desire for stuff is going to cause you to make everyone's life better. Greed is good. I'm not endorsing that idea, by the way. I'm telling you the, the argument. I think maybe even just those those two, maybe if I have one more, it would just be power and control. There was the, the, the pursuit of power when I was a kid 
everyone seemed to at least stay in their lane. Politicians had some governance on what they were trying to control, the, the federal government and what it does, but still had some sense of maybe states' rights or something like that. And your billionaires wanted to control the corporate world, but they didn't try to get out of the corporations over into government and make climate policy like Bill, Bill Gates does now. There's just an escalation everywhere. And the way I see it is there was, in the sin of 30 and 40 years ago, there was a perversion of good things. Sex and sexuality, sex drive, is good. The fact that we were now promoting sexuality amongst people who shouldn't be having sex, that was a perversion of a good. We've progressed past that now into almost denying it altogether. Denying that there is such a thing as sexuality. Making the entire thing not just relative, but almost nihilistic, destroying the sex distinctions. Not just perverting that which is good, but turning, not just perverting that which is good, like turning it a little to the, to the left or the right. I don't mean that politically, I just mean getting off course. And just turning it over, over on its head. Greed. Yeah, in our capitalist materialist system, we were off track. We were, we were overworking, over, over striving, doing a good thing. There's a good thing. Take dominion. We want that. But overdoing it, perverting a good thing, which is drive and ambition to to conquer and to take dominion over the world. And now it got it got off course. But now it's it doesn't seem like that. It's just over on its head. We have a a nihilistic people, seemingly, especially amongst young boys, young ki- young guys, no ambition, very little ambition. It's one of the reasons I, I love some of the guys and our, our young guys at the church. They seem to have real ambition. They want jobs that can support having a wife and kids. They want a wife and kids. They want to go. Like, well, we want to accomplish something. I just see a, a generation that's not exclusively, but in large part, very content to live with mom and dad forever, and they want the, the shortest work schedule possible, and they don't put in a ton of effort. It's not a, a divergence of a good thing. It's just totally rejecting the thing. I've already mentioned the one for power. Not just power in one given thing, but folks superseding their remit. It's getting turned over on its head. Sin is progressing. And while I, I see all of that, especially in, in midst of a, a Pride Month, it, it becomes clear the kingdom of God is in conflict with the kingdom of darkness, and in the end, only one can win. We know which one will win in the end, but in any given culture around the world, there will be wins and losses for the two sides in culture, in finance, in the universities, and governments. Over... I'll give you a specific one that that I'm about to get into uh, in depth for this episode. I saw there was a school out west. I think it was in California. They were a preschool that uh, was private. I think yeah, private Catholic, I believe. And uh, no, no, no. I'm sorry. I'm pulling it up. It's Eastern Orthodox. And they have in their faith statement regarding sex and gender the the traditional millennia old view of sex and sexuality. They off, they, 
they applied for and were, were granted a federal program to help feed the kids. These are sometimes low-income kids, and there's a federal program to help private and parochial schools feed kids. And because of their religious statement about sex and sexuality, the federal government just pulled their money and said, you can't feed these kids. It's not with our money. Like In that situation, can you feel that the two are in conflict? The religion of sex and sexuality in the, in, the, in the modern day, in the religion of Christianity, came into conflict, and only one can win. And if you will not give fealty to our religion of sex and sexuality, we want to cut you off. There's a, a conflict directly, really, between the sexuality religion, the sex cult that we are living in, the ethic of the sex cult we're in, and, and the Christian faith. Now, in our context, in the American context, fortunately for us, the, the battle between sexual liberty and religious liberty is not hard, at least it shouldn't be. One of those two liberties has a long, his, has a long history, long anchor, heavy anchors in, in the past. Religious liberty is now hundreds, if not thousands of years old as a concept. Sexual liberty, that your sexual satisfaction is... Uh, is a core fundamental human right. We started that like 10 minutes ago in the context of history. It's fortunate for us in this conflict that the one, religious liberty, actually is in the Constitution. Amendment 1, Clause 1, Congress shall make no law establishing religion nor prohibiting the free exercise thereof. There's no amendment. I mean, there's only 27 amendments unless you want to add a 28th about sexual liberation. Only one is founded in our history and our and in our in our constitution. And so I, I got encouraged there. So go on the train with me. I'm discouraged by the state of advancing sin. I recognize there's a conflict between the sex cult we're living in culturally and the Christian faith. And then I recognize well we have an advantage and then I see you know we're stacking up some wins. As much as sin is advancing in the hearts of man, in, in one realm we're stacking up some wins. Even this week, Oklahoma became the first state in the country to charter a Catholic school. What was a Catholic school is now going to become one of the charter schools of the state, and so state money will be going directly to a Catholic school. That's already got a lawsuit going, but if the history of this court is any, the Supreme Court, is of, uh, is of any use, I think we might find here that they're going to say to, to states, yeah, if, if you can charter schools, you can't exclude a religious group from being part of the charter situation if, lo- if locally there's some kind of demand for it. I just think back over the, let's go last 10 or 15 years, mostly off the top of my head here. We, we won the Hobby Lobby decision. Uh, employers don't have to provide every kind of contraceptive if they don't want to. A term or two ago, a coach was praying at the 50-yard line, lost his job. He won his case. Jack Phillips out in Colorado didn't win the case as cleanly as I wanted, but did. I think it was last term. It was up in Maine, that um, that school that uh, was either a grant. It had something to do with their playground, but there was a, a state program that private schools could apply for this Christian school tried to get into it, and some folks said, you, you, you can't. You, they tried to keep them out of it. They, they sued, and they won. 
the Supreme Court establishing, you can't exclude a religious school from a private school program. There's recent wins on hiring practices for closely held re- religious businesses about who they can, who, who they have to hire, who they don't have to hire. A recent win on a case in Philadelphia about a Catholic agency and who they adopt children to because they know that every child deserves a mom and a dad. We're going to get another win within the next month when the Supreme Court, I, I believe fully, probably five to four, is going to say of this web designer in Colorado who preemptively sued the state of Colorado saying, this law you've passed is going to end up making me violate my conscience. They're going to find in her favor. We have right now a reprieve in one part of the culture that is a response to my discouragement over advancing degradating, uh, degradating? Yeah, I think it's a word. Degradating sin. Yeah, I'm concerned for the future. I see the diminishing of the conscience and the darkening of the time. I see the conflict between that darkness and the kingdom of God. I see that the Lord has provided for us an environment where there seems to be some some clearance, some safety and security to continue to practice the faith. And so I come back to the same question I always do when I talk about religious liberty cases and how important they are and why it's important that we win. We are winning right now in religious liberty. So the question comes to this. What are you going to do with it? Right now we're free. I'm not in any trouble if I put up on, on my feeds a sermon where I say homosexuality is a sin. Marriage is the union, is, is, is the union between one, mar- one man and one, one woman. We're free to disciple and educate our kids without the government trying to, trying to get involved in some way. It's a question of what, what are we going to do with all this religious liberty the Lord has granted us as the culture darkens? I think it, it at least come away from these 20 minutes of talking about it with this. At least someone who disciples yourself, your disciple, your family. You'll find a local church, get plugged right into it. It's the, it, to quote the Mandalorian like I did last week, this is the way. Let, let your language not be needlessly aggressive and appalling as you communicate truth to others. Love your family. Love your neighbor. Disciple yourself and your kids. That's where I started and end. Let's use that religious liberty. Use the voice you've been given so that we might, in this place, see the conflict won by good and not evil and, and evil not win. So that as we all start to consider the world that we're going to leave behind to these kids that we love, that we don't leave them in shambles. You're listening to the Corey Truax Show wherever you find podcasts. Thank you for being with me. You can email the show at show at gmail.com, show at gmail.com. You can also find me on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Please do look for me, Corey Truax. You will find me there. Uh, let's do at least two more stories today. I, I guess this, I would put maybe the headline on this as, does this sound familiar? Here is the headline. School districts move teachers who commit sexual assaults to other schools. Then they go through a report from a couple years ago now that showed in 
quite a few school districts when somebody is accused of, sometimes fairly credibly accused, of a sexual assault. Actually, let me read, let me read you this paragraph. According to the report, school employees who sexually abuse children are typically moved three different times before they are fired or arrested. The report cited a 2018 study that says this allows the employee to abuse as many as 73 victims throughout employment. The report used the Department of Education data that says there were, get this, 13,799 incidents of sexual assault in public schools during the 2017-18 school year. By the way, not all of that 13,799 was teacher or staff to student. Some of that is student to student, but nevertheless. Uh, for, for good reason, the, the, the convention that I'm a part of, we're not a denomination, we're a convention of churches, the Southern Baptist Convention. For good reason, for like four, three, four, five years now, we have been dealing with the fallout of a Houston Chronicle story that told, a, told something similar about us. Instead of dealing with people who sin and commit crimes by either having civil civil justice applied to those who commit crimes, not protecting those who might be vulnerable, and firing and then making sure people know what kind of threat someone is to others, it's kind of moved them around. This is, unfortunately, something we saw in the Catholic Church. We've seen in other denominations that have had some of the similar struggle, struggles. We, of course, in the church should be held to, I mean, higher standard. We we have a, man, we have, we have as our mandate, the Great Commission. Yeah, our standard should be higher. But I saw this story, and I guess I had two thoughts. One, I mean, there's not a, there's not an institution. It seems that over the last twenty years, where it's. It hasn't been made clear. There's a lot of abuse. And I think a lot of folks listening to me could say that. You would say it. You, you know, either it's you or it's, a, it's, it's your spouse. It's someone you know. They've told the story of abuse. I think it's, it's one of the driving factors. It's not the driving factor, but one of the driving factors of how mentally ill my generation is and generation even older than I am, there was some some ability to abuse, whether you were at school or at church or uh, at or at camp. We've seen some of, some of those or the movie industry or at work. And just get away with it. That cultural change has, has been good, that there might be some consequences to people who violate others. So I, I had that story and thought, saw the story and thought, man, this is so horrifically common. And, and then had the, I guess, the dual thought. For those outside the, outside the church that want to focus on the church's problem here, which is real, I do want to say back to you, your beloved institution of the public school is a dangerous place for kids sometimes to get sexually assaulted. That takes no onus or blame off of my, my convention or any of the churches that have been, uh, any of the churches that have been guilty of these things too. It's not even a whataboutism. It's not even a, well, what about the public schools that are also dangerous? Not doing that. I'm just saying, man, this, is a, this has been a real problem all the way around. The secular world has, has the same sin on their hands. And we, again, we should hold ourselves to a higher standard. It's just a story I wanted you to know. It's information that's important to have. It's, man, it's, uh, 
it's it's one of the reasons to be a really involved parent, grandparent, that kids have open com- lines of communication, that there's that there's lots of check-in uh, because these, as they go to school sometimes, I'm not trying to scare scare any of you parents, by the way. Let's, let me back that up. Uh, that that was a year there with, I almost said, 14,000 assaults. Again, they weren't all adult to child. I'm not trying to scare you. I mean, there were, I don't know, a million students I mean, ratio-wise, you know, I'm not saying your student's in danger. I, I'm trying to say we, we adults who run institutions are quite bad at not leveling the punishments we're supposed to level when someone assaults someone, or for that matter, leveling the, the appropriate punishment on a student when they assault someone. We, we've over, over-forgiven and overlooked some serious things that happened in the church and it happened in in, in, the, in the public school system in lots of places as well, and it's just time to turn that around. That's all I was trying to say, is we all of us are guilty of not punishing properly on those things. Uh, let's do, finish this one. Finish with this one on the Corey Truax Show. Maybe a little bit shorter episode this week, and maybe that's good because next week you'll probably get multiple things because we'll be in New Orleans for the convention. The New York Times did a pretty good story. Here's the headline. In a contentious lawmaking season, red states got redder and blue ones bluer. With single-party statehouse control at its highest level in decades, legislators across much of the country leaned into cultural issues and bulldozed the opposition. And this is a story that goes through from Oregon and Minnesota on the left to Tennessee and Florida on the right and just talks about how more, more often than ever, the state houses across the country are single-party controlled. And even like in Kentucky, they have a Democratic governor, but it is a veto-proof majority in the legislature. North Carolina has that too, a Democratic governor, but a veto-proof majority in the in the legislature. Something similar happens up in, uh, I think it was Massachusetts or Maryland recently had a Republican governor. But there's this uni, unilateral, not so unilateral, I can't think of that word. It's not unicameral, that just means one house, but there's so much uniparty, one, one party controls everything in the state that the policy is either very, very, very right or very, very, very left. And of that, I just would say, that's actually supposed to be kind of how it worked, guys. I mean, I think a lot of things happening in those leftward states are bad and wrong and will be under judgment and should change. Yes, all that's true. At the same time, what the Tenth Amendment was, was supposed to be was self-sorting and that, we, and that we don't force ourselves on each other. We just, li- if you don't like where you live, you, you, take the, you take the L, you move to somewhere with similar values, and if we self-sorted ourselves, you end up weakening the, the federal government trying to pry into everything and you get more likely to live in peace because we're not trying to force each other into stuff. You know, actually, I'll finish here. I saw this crazy stat. In 2020, almost 6 million people in California voted for the Republican candidate for president. 6 million. That's votes, guys. 6 million is about the population of South Carolina. I'm talking men, women, and children. Not voters. Like people, humans. The number of humans that live in South Carolina, that number of people voted for the 
Republican presidential candidate in 2020. And the Republican candidate lost the state 65%, 35%. It's just one of the crazy things about California. They have more of everything. I think this is true. They actually have more Baptists than Texas. It's just how much bigger California is. Relative to their population, there's not a lot of Baptists in California. But just, they just have so much of everything. It's such a gigantic place. I tell you, if I was an enterprising billionaire with some interest in winning elections, that man, that's what I would be doing. I'd be advertising in California, trying to get two and a half million of them to move out. I'd take my billions and try to help them move to Arizona and move to Nevada, move to Wisconsin, and try to help bring sanity or in not just uh, – not change, but enforce, like keep keep states with some normalcy instead of continuing to drift into insanity. Because those five million might be living in a beautiful place, <laughs> but that environmentally, it's, it's probably not super fun for them. And other states could offer them all kinds of cool stuff. Anyway, that's just an idea I had because I saw that incredible stat, like five million ultimately voiceless people, people with no voice at all. Would love to get some voice, and if man, some billionaire, I guess Elon Musk has already done his work by buying Twitter. Somebody else is going to have to come along and do my idea. All right, I'm going to cut it short. Next week in New Orleans, you'll have more content from me. There is a presidential election. There's an important amendment to. Uh, that's not the Baptist faith. The message we're trying to clarify in our most fundamental documents, what the role and duty of, not role and duty, role and function of an elder, what the word pastor is. We shouldn't have, man, this is so easy. We shouldn't have to do it. But there's other issues we're going to deal with because we got Rick Warren coming to try to say, yeah, I should still be in the convention despite us ordaining and uh, having women elders. So stay tuned for all that. I'll I'll be back uh, when we're in New Orleans, I'm sure, with more content. And uh, also watch the social media feeds, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Look for me, Corey Truax, because if I do stuff with uh, my, my brother while we're out there, that's where those will show up. All right, I'll be back sometime here soon with another new edition of the Corey Truax Show. Until then, everybody, peace and love.